The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Labs, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today, as always, our New York Magazine sex columnist, Maureen O'Connor. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. Hey, Allison. Hey, David. Before we get to the show this week, we wanted to remind you about the Sex Lives voicemail box. We've been ending each episode with your responses to previous shows, so please call us anytime, 646-494-3590. A recent episode about masturbation really seems to have touched a nerve. The script I'm reading here says, make jerk off pun. Um, <laughs> that was good. Did, did that, was that, touched was that a nerve? One? Was touched a nerve your jerk off joke? Uh, no, that, there was. It was supposed to be a second, uh, second oh. jerk off joke. Anyway, in a little bit, we'll hear from this lady. <laughs> I am one of those women who tends to masturbate in a lot of public places. You guys should give it a try. It's really not as scary as it seems. So we'll discuss that along with a number of other interesting masturbation-themed voicemails later in the show. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to interview Christopher Trout, executive editor at Engadget, who recently completed a multi-part series of articles on the future of sex, for which he took a journey to the inside of a porn star's ass. For starters, um, he also ended up fucking himself, but we'll get to that later. First, though, we want to talk about this really crazy study that showed up in Broadly, which was conducted in England about the connection between working out and sex. It was a poll of 2,000 adults, which found that 50% of them use the gym as a hookup venue, which may be not so surprising, but that 25% of them have actually had sex in the gym, which I know you guys find totally gross and hard to believe. I don't even find it that gross. I just find it like, where do you go? The locker rooms are all separated by gender, and I feel like people are like narcs. Someone's going to tell on you if you try to drag a member of the opposite sex into the locker room. I don't know. And the only bathrooms are usually inside the locker rooms, right? Right. And those are gross, actually. I feel like there is a whole genre of porn that's, like, on the machine itself. What? Which has, like, some (laughs) thematic connection to... I think there's lots of sort of, like, gym teacher gives you a stretch and suddenly she's jerking you off type porn. Yeah. Um, I think the only people I've heard talk about using the gym for actually hooking up are just gay men who go to specifically, like, gay gyms, which is, like, the only situation in which I can imagine that actually working. Right. So you could never Um, imagine being, like, really, like, getting it on in in the gym? Well, only because of the sort of gender thing. Like, how am I ever going to hook up with a dude at the gym? I did find it, I find it utterly believable, this study that said 70% of women admitted to fantasizing about hooking up with their personal trainers. That totally strikes me as reasonable because even if it's an unwanted fantasy, I feel that enters your mind at some point. If somebody's like touching you and you're like, what would, ah, and even if you don't want to think about it, you end up thinking about it by accident. The stretch out is, is very sexual and they're like young studly people. You know, I don't know. I get it. You know, they don't have to stretch you that way. Like if you're stretching a hamstring, you do not have to like get on top of a person in like weird sexual position to like stretch them that way. They um, definitely do it on purpose. I don't know, Mo. Like you, can like, you wanna... easily stretch that on the ground. No, no. You don't get as deep of a stretch that way, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you need someone's entire body weight on you sexually on a table in front of the entire gym. I mean, like you're at a place that has weights. Do you really need a man on top of you? Do you want to talk about your relationship with your trainer? Yeah. Um, when I was, like, I guess 20, I went, I started going to an Equinox near college, and I had a personal trainer. And at first it was like, is he flirting with me? There's no possible way. But, like, the stretch outs 
became like <laughs> like 75% of my training session it was just like me getting like stretched out by this dude it was glorious and then we exchanged numbers obviously because I had to text him if I was running late and then he would start texting me after hours like hey babe how's your weekend don't forget to get some cardio or like hey honey how you doing today beautiful and then finally he just invited me to a Super Bowl party at his house and I went Really not thinking anything was going to happen, but we totally hooked up, and then I had to stop going to him. It was too awkward. Because then, like, now, like, really, when you're getting stretched out, it's like, oh, we did that already naked the other (laughs) night. It just got too awkward for me. But did you keep seeing him or no? Sexually? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But then it got weird because he was kind of like, you haven't been in the gym in a while. And then... um, No! (laughs) He was shaming you? I was a little bit, like, shamed that I was like, are you calling me fat? Or are you just looking for, like, money? Or, like, what is this? I'm confused. But then a couple years ago, I went to a different Equinox location um, around my old office, and he had started training there. So I had to be confronted with the dude all over again. It was very awkward. And he's like, well, if you ever need a session or if there's anything I can do for you, like, just let me know. But he's married with a baby now, so I've missed out. Also, he wore spandex. Like into, like, into, into bed? No, like, but just always. Like, yeah. no matter where we <laughs> go. Into bed, to the bar. To dinner, like they were always in, like, what do you call them? Running, running tights? Oh, you're kidding me. For guys, is that what you call them? Compression shorts? <laughs> no, because they were long compression pants. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Tight, tights. Tights. He was wearing tights everywhere. <laughs> wow. I know. That's like kind of an, a bold choice. He had a nice butt. It was fine by me. Do you think in his ideal world, like, you guys would have been, you you would have continued to employ him and fuck him at the same time? Yes. I think he wanted his cake and wanted to eat it, too. So to speak. Yeah. Do you think that, like, he he had other clients at the time who he was, like, fucking on the side? You know, I didn't think about that. But now that you mention it, probably, yeah. Yeah. Like, all of his clients, he was, like, the, the trainer for, like, young women, like, 20 to 24, so... Oh my god! I know. This now, is like an episode of Sex in the City. What now I feel a little bit preyed upon. <laughs> so we've been talking about just how much the gym is a sexualized place and how much we could imagine boning in it. Um, now we're going to talk to Christopher Trout, executive editor of Engadget, about the next wave of sex. We're joined now by Christopher Trout, executive editor of Engadget. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm not sure that Maureen has ever been more excited about a segment than this one. Um, before... <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> before we get into your um, sort of fantastic voyage to the future of sex, um, I wondered if you could set the scene a little bit for us. I mean, I've noticed just reading about this stuff over the last couple of years that we're sort of both perpetually hearing about like robot sex and the future of sex being now and also it does feel like over the last few months that's reached like a particular fever pitch so where like are we in a new moment for um robot fucking or what's your sense (laughs) of the lay of the land so to speak I think we're at a place where, you know, the, the technology is finally being developed in a way that it hadn't been in the past. You know, we hear all this stuff about we're all going to be fucking robots in 10 years or 25 years or 50 years. But the truth is, is that we're really quite far away from that. And I think part of the thing is, is that, you know, the people creating the sex robots are not the people leading the charge on artificial intelligence. Right. So what you end up with is you get these very rudimentary sort of robots, right? So it's like... Instead of fucking a teddy bear, you're fucking Teddy Ruxpin. But you're not quite, <laughs> you're not quite all the way down the line. 
Right. I kind of see it like the self-driving car dilemma. Like, it doesn't need to come from the car companies or, like, the tech companies. And it seems like, is it the sex toy companies that need to be leading our way into a sex robot? Or is it, like, Apple that needs to step in and create the technology? Well, I mean, ideally it would be an Apple or Google or somebody who's got some skin in the game when it comes to artificial intelligence, right? Right. Because those people are the ones that really understand it. Those companies have a really sticky relationship with sexuality. You know, Mm -hmm. Apple's always had very strict rules about what it will allow, and it's, uh, for example, like the App Store, right? Right. And there's never really going to be a big crossover, I don't think. So either young engineers are going to have to go work for the sex toy companies, which happens sometimes, or, you know, uh, Google or Apple or whoever will have to just let go of some of their sort of puritanical ways right. and, and loosen up a bit. I don't know why I'm so disappointed that we won't be having sex robots <laughs> soon. <laughs> well, I mean, the other part of it is is that, you know, these things are, it's a, it's a really deep fetish, robots, right? So it's, it's relatively new, the idea that we'd, we'd be fucking a robot in the first place. And the, uh, the fetish it sort of stems from is uh, sort of a fetish of statues or mannequins or whatever. And when you think about that, it's so limited. But here's the thing is that even as much as you say that, um, you know, that these experiences, because, you know, you tried out any number of uh, sort of virtual and mechanized types of sex, as much as those were frustrating experiences, it did strike me that even though they weren't complete and they weren't perfect and each one had a flaw that you would masturbate that way normally, they did strike me as great leaps into a totally different world of sex. Yeah, I mean, they are in some ways, right? So it is frustrating to spend two hours setting up any piece of technology. And and what I've said in the past is that, like, you wouldn't accept this sort of thing from your smartphone, right? Like, your Chromecast plugs into the back of your TV and you can turn it on very quickly. Um, When you have to do that when you're trying to masturbate, it's kind of frustrating, (laughs) right? I mean, it's like... That's sort of the point of masturbating is you don't need to, like, yeah, there's no elaborate setup. Right. Right. Usually you just, you know, grab some lube if you're going to go that way and go to town. But in this case, you have to you spend so much time. And yes, once you finally get into it, some of these experiences are pretty crazy. You know, I had uh, two very separate experiences with some sort of fleshlight-like robotic things, right? One of them was this blowjob robot called the Auto Blow 2. And that thing was just, I mean, it was disturbing in so many ways at a tiny fleshy mouth that you put your dick in and it moved very slowly and robotically and you could hear the mechanics inside right <laughs> but then the little the little gif or the little gif or whatever on the in your piece was like itself horrifying i can't imagine like <laughs> right? encountering it in the flesh so to speak so incredibly disturbing that thing um even worse when it's on your dick because it's this giant kind of uh I don't know how to describe it, just like a giant can. Um, (laughs) All sounding terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, there are other more sophisticated devices that I tried out, right? And the teledildonic stuff is actually really interesting because you can control somebody's dildo from across the world using touch, right? Touch-sensitive sex toys that sort of create the inverse reaction, whatever sex toy your your partner's uh, using. And that stuff is really interesting when it works, right? The ultimate, though, and the experience that I had that was just absolutely out of control crazy was the ability to use two devices basically to fuck myself. And was that something that you came up with or was that like a sales pitch that the company had given you? (laughs) Because it it does seem like mind-blowingly brilliant and amazing that you did that to me. never would have thought of that. 
No, it was actually it was so I went looking for a gay virtual reality video that synced to this robotic sex sleeve. So they've got they've got it set up so that certain videos are synced to this thing. So that when you're in a virtual reality video watching somebody suck your dick, the device is emulating what they're doing to you. And I went out in search of a gay video because there's a, a real lack of uh, non-straight pornography made for virtual reality in the first place. And then syncing to these devices makes it even more limited. Uh, so when, when I went out looking for this thing, I searched Kiro Gay, Kiru Gay, whatever, the name of the sex toy, and then just, you know, gay. And what popped up was a YouTube video of a porn star, and uh, it said, man fucks himself with teledildonics. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was a revelation. And before we get to, like, actually what it felt like and how it made you feel, could you tell us, mm -hmm. just describe in detail, like, the what the devices that you were working with were like? And so if there's this crazy, like, Ouroboros of, like, computers and devices and you, like, what the actual, <laughs> what each of those items is sure so it's uh it's a platform called kiru uh -huh. k-i-i-r-o-o and it has two devices there's the onyx which is a sort of robotic sex sleeve which is much more sophisticated than auto blow and pearl which is a uh an insertable vibrator and they're very sleek looking very expensive devices i think you buy the pair, it's something like 350 to $500 or something like that. And basically, when somebody has one of these things synced, the other one, you know, when somebody has the other one synced, you can give somebody a code to connect to them, right? You send them an invitation to be able to let them control your device. So what happens is the vibrator is touch sensitive, right? And when you stroke it or insert it somewhere, it, it vibrates. And depending on the pressure on that thing, it increases that vibration. On the other end, what the person with the sex sleeve is experiencing is, is basically the inverse of that, right? So when you grab onto this vibrator, the sex sleeve puts pressure on whatever's inside the sex sleeve. So in this setup, you are, you are on both the giving and the receiving end of the... Right. So I had to go into a separate room to set up the device on one computer and the other one in another room because the Bluetooth signals were kind of canceling each other out. But yeah, I had the sex sleeve and I had the vibrator and basically the way it went down was I started off slowly, just kind of put the thing on my dick and then kind of started off slowly and started stroking it to see what it would do. And it was kind of insane how immediate and how accurate the feeling was. I wonder, so this sentence, there's two sentences in your article, it's The Future of Sex Part 2, and I read them, and I seriously had, like, a meltdown. First, I was laughing hysterically when I read them. I was standing in line at Dwayne Reed. I was laughing hysterically, and then I was also like, this is the pinnacle, this is the ultimate sentence in all of tech journalism, sex journalism, all first-person stunt journalism. Can you, you know the two sentences I'm talking about, right? Once you get to the, when you're fully engaged. Could you yeah. read them to us, please? <laughs> sure. I'll save you the details, but being fully engaged with both Onyx and Pearl was like the anal sex equivalent of a snake eating its own tail. I was the pitcher and the catcher, the giver and the receiver, both active and passive. But here's the thing. I don't want to be saved the details. We would, I would like to hear the details. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I mean, frankly, it's like it's absolutely insane, right? Like it's not something that many people have experienced, right? I know that one guy did, and, and now I have, but it's it's a mind fuck, really. Like you are in this really crazy, weird loop, kind of fucking yourself, <laughs> and it's kind of one of the great things about being a gay man, right? Like the best. For once, we <laughs> we get the chance to to really experience something somebody else can't. It's like the Matrix. I'm really struggling to, like, comprehend how this is working. Well, and that that was part of it, too. You know, I think, like, it wasn't just physically mind-blowing. And honestly, I don't know that it was more exciting than, like, you know, fucking in a chain or something like that. But it was... So that, that's probably think. pretty exciting. That's like <laughs> you're putting it pretty high on the list. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's just such a weird thing to really wrap your head around. And I don't think that I've completely figured it out, you know? And in the moment, you're trying to, to think about it, right? You're trying to have like kind of an intellectual monologue or whatever. And, and at the same time, you're experiencing a sexual sensation that you've never experienced before. So it's like... I don't know. I mean, it's just so hard to wrap your head around. I still don't get it. (laughs) Did you learn anything about yourself, like, as a partner? Like, did you learn anything about how you fuck that you didn't know or understand or appreciate before? I really didn't even have time to think about it. (laughs) And honestly, it was was over pretty quickly. I I would say say in my sort of history of orgasms, this was one of the uh, shorter comings to fruition. (laughs) It strikes me, though, that, say, there's this, like, unwieldy setup, and then you reach this moment when you fuck yourself, and it's, like, the real and also better version of, like, Marilyn Manson had a rib removed so he could suck his own dick. Like, a man set up two Bluetooths in two rooms so he could have sex with himself in the butt, and it's so much better. Ah, technology. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, the great thing about Manson was he could take the rib out and and he was done, right? Like, that was the last time he'd have to go through the one-time procedure, (laughs) yeah. This this way, you've got to, like, every time you do it, you've got to spend a a good 15 15 minutes to an hour trying to get things set up. Although, as as you brilliantly point out, this is actually just similar to back when you you were young watching, you know, dial-up porn. Right. It's that frustration. It's that, it's that like, waiting and waiting and waiting for, what, like, maybe two, three minutes max of, of excitement. It's just a little empty feeling in the end. Like, no matter how mind-blowing it was, like, when I took everything off and out and was just laying there thinking about it, I was like, God damn, I spent two and a half hours just getting this thing going and now it's over so can we talk about some of the other um stops on your tour like the you know the other the other virtual reality stuff that you checked out and the other oh yeah sex toys i think in general we're all we're all sort of interested in the idea of like the tech sex vanguard so what um how did that look to you and what seemed most like to have the most promise what seemed to be the most um the biggest deal like thing that you encountered so the teledildonic stuff is really interesting, but the promise for us is that we're one day going to be replacing humans with machines, right? And I wanted to experience that in total. So it was interesting to hear you. We were talking when you were talking before to think to talk about that almost as like a fetish rather than um, a way to improve the sex experience that you'd have with another person. It's almost like a whole different kind of desire. Yeah, and I, I think that I mean I think that's that's 
true. You know, I don't think that a lot of us are looking for a, a substitute to real sex with a human being. You know, I think most of us really enjoy that experience. <laughs> I think teledildonics is the most interesting thing because it is something that you can share with somebody else. The virtual reality stuff is a little, I mean, right now it's super rudimentary. It's like, it's terrible. In general, I feel like they, they've been calling a lot of shit virtual reality that's really just like, doesn't really meet my, what I would expect, the definition of what I'd expect virtual reality to be, which is like, you're actually interacting in an environment and like really right. changing what's possible by what you do in it. And I feel like so many things over the last year have been called virtual reality that are just like basically 3D photo or video experiences. It's like going to an IMAX as opposed to going to a regular movie theater, not like actually true VR. Right. Right. It's not like experiencing Captain EO at Disneyland. Or right. Anything, right. You're not like shaking in your chair and having shit blown in your face. And this was why it was so hard for me to, to enjoy virtual reality porn is that you're right. It's not that far from what we already have. Right. You're just you're just there kind of experiencing it, right? Like you're just watching something happen. And, and whether or not you can see this, you know, headless body that is supposed to be you, and you can see somebody doing things to this body that is supposed to be you, there's a real disconnect there because the quality of the video is so bad. And because they're shooting in like 180-degree or 360-degree video, there's a lot of like issues with perspective I think in, in the article I talked about this one experience, I downloaded some porn from this company, as far as I can tell, one of the only companies doing gay VR. And they had shot this guy way too up close. So basically when he was kind of away from you or between your legs or whatever, he looked like a normal-sized human being, right? Proportions to his body were totally normal. He was incredibly weird looking, but that was the whole other thing. Um, but then he, then he hops on your dick, and he's riding you reverse cowboy, I guess you would call it. And his back is just gigantic. <laughs> I mean, it's huge, right? It's like everywhere you look is his giant orange back. And it's like, I think, I think the thing is, is that, like, the technology is just barely there. The actual production of this stuff, the techniques to make it happen, just haven't made it, you know? And I've had other experiences where it's like, the person feels like they're 15 feet away from you when they're sucking your dick. It's like, my dick is not that far away. Have you had, exper have you had experiences with non-sex virtual reality that have been better? You know, I haven't personally. Most of the stuff I've seen has been pretty shitty. But I have coworkers who go all over the world to experience, like, the best in virtual reality, right? And there are some really interesting experiences. You know, HTC's got the vibe, and basically that involves it allows you to like see through the virtual reality into the real world so that you don't do what I did, which is like run into a wall for <laughs> your lube. I tried the Oculus Rift, like a tightrope walking um, simulation for that movie that came out about the tightrope walker. That was terrifying. Mm -hmm. That felt like I was really about to fall. It was realistic it enough felt, that it like, yeah, gave, gave you me a the... little vertigo. Yeah. You know? um, well, and yeah, that's the thing. The technology, some of the technology is really powerful, right? So the Oculus Rift right. is like, the game changer. What will actually be more ubiquitous, which is like the Google cardboards of the right. world, like really inexpensive, like $100 and below, right? And that's the stuff that's going to be most ubiquitous, and that's the stuff that just really isn't quite there. And you have these kind of cheap headsets that create a cheaper experience, 
but you you have the same on the content production side, right? So big studios, big like gaming studios or big movie studios are creating these amazing cinematic experiences. And then you have everybody else, right, where most of the content is going to be coming from. And it is not great. And in the case of pornography, there's not a ton of money being pumped into this stuff. Well, on some level, it feels like it's the wrong time because 10 or 15 years ago, the porn industry would have had a lot of money to throw at the future. But right. now there's just there's like so little profit in it that there are very few players who have that kind of cash, right? Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely true. I, I worked in the gay porn industry before I started working at Engadget, and I saw that industry completely fall apart. The rise of tube porn and UGC and all that stuff. And yeah, there's not the money to put behind it. There's not a drive to really innovate. I will say, I did go to, uh, I went to, to kink.com and watched them produce a VR video and then sat with them over lunch and watched it. They showed me the video after they had produced it. And I see a spirit of innovation there that I haven't seen at other places. Like, they're really excited about this stuff. They're building their own hardware to shoot it. They're really thinking about, like, what it takes to make the video work. They did something that absolutely fucking blew my mind. They shot this hardcore girl-on-girl anal sex scene. And at some point, they had one of the girl's asses spread open with forceps. And they got really, really close. And I was watching I was watching the video sitting in front of my salmon lasagna, because they have a very nice catered <laughs> lunch over at kink.com. And um, I was watching this video, and I was just absolutely amazed. It was like I was inside this woman's asshole. It was the most insane experience. Like, I had no idea what the inside of somebody's butt looked like in a real way, you know? Um, and I think that so it was a superior like insight, like if you had superior vision than you would like even in the real world. <laughs> totally. And like, uh, you know, a miner's lamp on your head. To me, it seems like the experiences when the, when virtual reality tried to replicate normal sex, that was sort of a it was messed up. It was like a funhouse mirror. It didn't work. But when virtual reality tried to give you something that is physically impossible in real life, such as shrinking yourself as small as a tiny camera and walking up inside a woman's butt. That is a completely unique experience um, and something that, that virtual reality can offer that actual reality actually can't. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's what, that was my takeaway from that whole thing, was that if they can show you things you've never seen before, if they can take you to places you've never been, that's the real value in virtual reality, right? Whether it's porn or whatever else, it's like being able to be transported into a world that just doesn't exist for you. It actually was like as close to the womb as I think we'll ever get again. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the fact that you're eating like salmon lasagna. It's still Uh, really. (laughs) I did not. I did not finish my lunch. (laughs) It got cold. So yeah, I mean that's that's a great thing. It's like. You can do these crazy fucking things, right? And that's the promise. That's the promise of virtual reality. Um, and, and that's what's exciting about it. The problem is, is that there's this churn and burn sort of mentality in the porn industry that's been going on for a very long time. You know, they're all trying to compete with user-generated porn and, and tube sites and all that stuff. And as a result, they're not really putting in the time and quality. So we don't have that kind of Debbie Does Dallas or Deep Throat, that, like, defining 
porn experience for virtual reality yet. And I think that's what that's what I'm holding out for. And can we move to talk a little bit also about however far away it is about like the the dream of the true sex robot, like the artificially intelligent, um, aware and super responsive sex bot? Yeah, so the people who are producing the robots right now are, and I'm sure there are other people out there doing this, but the two that I'm, I'm like keenly aware of are uh, Real Doll, the people that make the sex dolls. We've all seen the HBO documentaries and all of that. Um, and then uh, the other one, this guy who was like an engineer at GE and decided he was going to dedicate all of his time to creating a sex robot called Roxy with two X's or three X's, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Real clever stuff. But yeah. he, he's more on the tip of, like, let's make a fully functional robot, right? Like, the whole body experience. He is not a very, or whoever he has working for him, is not very good at creating a lifelike human form. On the other hand, you have Real Doll that's creating a more limited, I think the guy called it, uh, light AI experience. So light artificial intelligence, right? And um, so that's basically like taking one of their something like one of their existing dolls and giving it like a sort of tech upgrade. So it's a little more aware and responsive than it would be otherwise. Right. So basically, what they're doing is they've got these they've got these very realistic uh, silicone molded bodies, right? And and they're sex dolls, right? They're, they look pretty realistic, but they're sex dolls. And what they're doing is they're creating a head like a modular head that you can pop on to your existing sex doll. And it will, it will be, you know, able to react to you. It has eyes that blink. It has, you know, it has a, a moving mouth so that when it's talking, its mouth is moving. What is it saying when its mouth is moving? Like what kinds of things are it, is it capable Just of? like really complimentary stuff like, <laughs> oh, your dick is so big and <laughs> it feels course. so good when you, when you do that. You know, that sort of thing. Right. So the Teddy um, Ruxpin thing is what we're talking about. Basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I mean, it has to be programmed at this point because... Artificial intelligence hasn't reached a point where it can really have a true conversation with you. This is like the holy grail. And I, I, I'm pretty sure Real Doll is not going to be the ones to create it. You know, you've had the world's greatest minds working on this problem for, you know, a century, if not more. I, I don't think they're going to be breaking the, the mold. But basically, it's, you know, they also have intentions for that mouth to be able to be functional. So it it would work like the... Well, hopefully not like the auto blow, but more like, you know, Onyx or, or whatever. And putting aside the like the sort of technical limitations facing a, a company, especially like Real Doll, if you mm -hmm. think about like what their non-AI dolls are like, and then you think about like a sort of ideal sex doll or sex robot experience, you know, a, a bot that has been animated by some serious AI, what do you think the things are that people want from a Like what is the intelligence that people want from a robot? A sex robot. Well, so when you talk to when you talk to the guy from Real Doll, and when you talk to people who own these dolls or in quote unquote relationships with the dolls, it really is about having a relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about companionship, and I think that's what they want. You know, I think I think the ultimate sex doll would be more like a Stepford wife than anything else. You have a fully functioning human being that can like take care of your kids and like take out the trash uh -huh. and do your dishes and, and whatever else and tell you they love you at the end of the day and yeah. that you're a great person and, and how they big your really dick is. want to suck your dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, you can imagine a simpler artificial intelligence that is not for people with such crazy desires where, say, like, you have, I don't know, an auto blow that actually learns what you like, right? And it uses that intelligent information to just get you off more effectively. Right. I mean, ideally, it would be there would be some machine learning involved. And this is this is where that disconnect between the tech industry and the sex industry really takes effect, right? Where, where you really see it. Because it's like, there is technology out there, there are technologies being created that could solve these problems. It's just that there's not a connection there. Until we get this stuff to be more mainstream and more easily understood by engineers across the world, we're probably not going to be seeing it in our sex toys, right? If Google would like loosen up a little bit and just let it, let it all hang out, we'd have a much better chance at a sort of sex robot future. Are there com- I mean, you talked about Apple and Google in particular. Are there other companies that are sort of below them on the totem pole, but still way ahead of Doll that you think might end up expanding into this area? Or is it really like, we want the big guns and the only way to make real Yeah, progress. who should partner with Real Doll is what we're asking. <laughs> Probably Intel. Yeah, right. Intel's really desperate right now. So, <laughs> as, you, as you saw at the Grammys. Um, I, think that, I think that, you know, there's some interesting research being done at universities, but you have the same issue there. Academia has always had a really complicated relationship with sexuality, right? Like you go back to Kinsey and what a mess all that was. I've talked to some engineers and I've talked to people from like the MIT research labs or whatever. And they say, you know, it's not for a lack of interest. Like these people are interested in it. But when you start talking about money and where that money's coming from, there's just not support for it. So Christopher, thanks again for coming on. It's been super interesting to talk to you. Maybe we could do something down the line. Would love to. Yeah, or next time you do some crazy virtual shit to yourself, let us know. (laughs) I'll give you a call the next time I fuck myself. So earlier I mentioned that our recent discussion about masturbation seemed to have really resonated with you listeners. We've got a ton of really interesting voicemails about your experiences. So first, thanks to everyone who called in. We're going to highlight three of the most interesting ones on the show today. This first one was in response to our conversation about a phone booth in New York that's been converted into a masturbation chamber. Hi, I'm calling in after your most recent episode about um, the jerk-off booth in New York, and basically, I don't think I would want to use one of these, Um, but I do have to say that I am one of those women who tends to masturbate in a lot of public places. You guys should give it a try. It's really not as scary as it seems. Um, It's a lot of fun and really easy to do, um, and it's kind of a thrill to do it when no one knows that you're doing that. So, I mean, I've been pushing the boundaries, and masturbating in public places um, for years now, and it's great. So I definitely recommend it. You guys wish that she, like, included some tips about exactly how yeah. she is? Yeah. Yes. Where, how is she, like, on disrobing, or is she like, staying clothed? Is there a blanket what involved? Are the logistics? I have a friend who masturbates on airplanes on long flights, but, like, there's, like, a blanket involved, so it's it, it's fine, I suppose, when she gets bored. But I can't imagine just, like, being in a restaurant and figuring out how to do this. Maybe she wears skirts a lot? No, I just need more detail on that one. Can she call back? Can you call back? <laughs> yeah, tell us, like, where, how? How public are we talking? Like, in a bathroom stall where nobody's looking? Right. 
with some company, like people you know sitting around the table and they just don't know what's going on? Yeah. Curious. Wow. How obvious are her orgasms? I'm going to guess not not very if she gets away with it all the time. Or she just does not give a shit. (laughs) She seems kind of like she doesn't give a shit. She's a little my hero. She said don't give a fuck hero here. Also, that seems like it would be really different phone call if it was from a dude right we wouldn't have been charmed by it at all no but like oh my god what's wrong with you you're a criminal um yep and you know what calling with tips tell us what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) so a couple weeks ago we interviewed nicholas tana the director of sticky self-love story which is a movie about masturbation um this film mostly takes the position that it's a relatively natural and healthy expression of sexuality particularly as an alternative to more dangerous or aggressive behaviors. We got an interesting perspective on that idea from this caller. Just listen to your last uh, podcast, uh, and you had asked questions about uh, masturbation. Uh, the interesting thing that I found, uh, I ended up uh, having to attend some uh, sex addict anonymous classes. And uh, one thing I found really curious is that uh, if you masturbate at all without a partner in uh, SAA, that's actually a bad thing. You have fallen off the wagon. It's kind of like if you would have taken a drink if you're an alcoholic. Uh, so I thought that was kind of you know, weird and interesting, seeing that masturbation is such a normal course of people's sexuality that it's actually considered deviant by uh, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. Maybe it was just my chapter, but... Uh, uh, thanks. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks. Yeah, it does seem sort of like um, not a good policy if they do feel that, if they do advocate that, right? Like but you, that it's falling off the wagon? That it counts as like indulging your sex addiction to yeah. masturbate once. Yeah. I, I think that, that. Um, my understanding is, well, I think there's probably a lot of variety in the way people deal with this in different groups do, but that I think a lot of sex addict treatment centers, they treat masturbation sort of differently. Like some might say you need to stop for in the beginning while you're sort of resetting yourself. Others will say, well, how are you masturbating? Is it, you know, related to your addiction or not? But it also, I mean, I feel like my my instinct is the same as Nicholas is the guy who directed the movie, which is like, you know, Prob- uh, you know, all else being equal, like if you're jerking off, you're like it. It could help you not do other things right. that are going to be destructive to your life. Absolutely. And that, like, it would have to be pretty serious, like compulsion of masturbation compulsion for it to interfere with your life as much as sex addiction of other kinds would. I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel like I've read I've read some really harrowing stories about people that were addicted to like porn and masturbation. There was an article after the Tiger Woods scandal on Deadspin in which one of their commenters actually had mentioned being um, a sex addict and having gone to the same place, the same sex addiction rehab that Tiger Woods went to. And that article was the one that like completely changed my view of sex addiction and made me just like obsessively read about it because he was um, a porn and masturbation addict. And it was just terrorizing how intense it is that he would like close the blinds and masturbate for hours and hours on end, like days, not eating completely, utterly compulsive in the same way that like I would imagine a meth addict would have a drug binge because, you know, you're doing it totally by yourself. You can just, like, lock yourself in your home. Right, there's no check on it. And lose, like, weeks at a time or whatever. Yeah. And hurt yourself. Finally, we also recently discussed the Twitter flare-up between Kanye West and Amber Rose, which is now feels like ancient history and, like, the saga of Kanye, (laughs) um, and which raised a whole host of issues 
among them the question of whether or not Amber had butt-shamed Kanye by declaring his proclivity for anal stimulation, using the phrase, fingers in the booty ass bitch. I was really excited to hear you say that. Yeah, you're, I saw you like, looking down at the script. You're like, Here it comes. Um, one of our listeners had a pretty great story inspired by that conversation. It's a little long, but we really enjoyed it. Hey there. Um, I was calling in because I loved your last episode about uh, masturbation, um, and it actually triggered this memory that kind of relates both to masturbation and also to something else you brought up in the podcast, which was the um, butt play shaming issue that I think a lot of guys experience. So it's actually, it's a story that I, it's like shaming that I witnessed happen to a friend of mine in high school. Um, We were all talking about masturbation like you do. (laughs) Um, And this guy that um, had like a fair amount of social capital, which I think really helped him and he was just really gregarious and fun and I actually had a huge crush on him. Um, He was like an athlete and and awesome and I don't know how it came up, but he basically admitted to playing with his asshole when he masturbated, which I thought was super awesome and super ballsy, um, partly just because it elicited such a reaction from, especially from the other dudes. But The fact that he just sort of boldly announced and was really unapologetic about it and was just sort of like, well, yeah, it feels awesome. And I'll never forget what was even more badass was that these dudes kind of started basically shutting, trying to shut it down or shame it. Like, no, that's, that's messed up. That's, 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 you know, gay, which is like, oh, Jesus, like high school. And his response to that was to then (laughs) go around and start asking the other dudes, hey, don't you play with your asshole when you masturbate? <laughs> because he was, like, so shocked that these guys weren't experiencing the, the great pleasure that it could, could bring him. Um, and I don't know. So I'd like to see more of that kind of thing. Go dude. Yeah, no, I've got nothing to say, but, like... I so love this kid. I mean, did I he grow up to become a sex columnist? This sounds like we should recruit him for the show to boldly admit what he does to himself and then go around asking everyone else. That's kind of our careers, right? <laughs> yeah. I had a good friend of mine in high school that like, had a sort of similar thing. He was like very open about how much he liked shoving things up his ass while masturbating. But at the time, I remember thinking like, like I, I didn't. I didn't think it was – I was just sort of like confused how he had stumbled on that idea. Like everything that I had <laughs> – heard or read about like how one was supposed to jerk off like I no one had ever you know like no one had ever suggested that the asshole was like a possible part of that it's not like a secret people will like pass around not in my experience yeah. I don't know but I guess like you know my buddy had like you know was very grateful that someone had tipped him off <laughs> he got the what kind of things knowledge. was he putting in his butt a- anything <laughs> That okay, that can get dangerous. Like I'm like worried about. Yeah, that can. You know? The only problem is perhaps that teen boys like what kind of strange creativity can right. occur um, can get a little dangerous. Right, totally. <laughs> Anyway, thanks to all of you for calling in and keep your voicemails coming. Um, This week, let us know what you'd like to see in the next generation of technologically enhanced sex. Or let us know if you've tried anything else that feels to you like the most exciting frontier in the future of fucking. You could also call us about anything else at 646-494-3590. Should we put out a call for gym hookup stories? Call us about that, too. Call us about gym hookup stories at 646-494-3590. And that's it for Sex Lives. Thanks again to our guest, Christopher Trout. Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next time, and thanks for listening.